This is our first official video appearance on the Arca Speak YouTube channel. Yeah. And I said that I had a face for radio and for some reason you want to stick it on a video. <laughs> We're just giving people options, more ways to, to get their Arca Speak. This is important. We got to get it out there. And we've been, I don't, this is totally new announcement. We've got a couple of episodes already up on YouTube, but they're audio only. They're just the podcast on YouTube. This is the first dual purpose show. So look at us like Swiss Army Knife with the Arca Speak here. Just like this. Blurry, whatever. Yeah. Well, you got a fancy camera. Exactly. Of course, it's going to be blurry. Yeah. yeah. That is the big announcement I think that we'll just kick off the show with is that we're excited to do more on YouTube as time progresses. We won't mention what those things are yet, but we have some, what we think are incredible ideas. Incredible. I mean, how, you're going to be blown away. How could they not be incredible? Look where they're coming from, people. Exactly. Come on. So those of you who are audio listeners, this episode, it makes no difference which one you're you're watching or listening to, but there might be future episodes that we'll release where it will be better to be on the visual platform rather than the audio platform. Yeah. We'll still release those in, in audio form, but there will just be extra layer of information provided in the, the visual. So we're excited to get going here and start building our audience. So if you could, please... Head over to YouTube. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. You can get to that right inside your podcast player, or you can go to arcaspeakpodcast.com and find this episode, episode 293, and you can click the link to go to our YouTube channel where I want you to subscribe and hit the notification bell so that you know when new episodes are released there so you can check them out. And that really helps us get the show more exposure, and it's all good for the architectural world out there. So hopefully you can do that for us. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't hurt. It's not painful. It doesn't bite. Like all, all those things are, are true. And so please do that. It really would help the show out. And as they say, subscribe early, subscribe often. If you hit the button twice, make sure you hit it a third time. Yeah, that's right. So uh, that's it for that announcement. I think other than that, let's jump into this this article that was on Archetizer. I don't remember exactly when it was on Archetizer, but uh, let's look and see. I don't actually see a date. There is no date. Fan. It's timeless. It doesn't get much more timeless than this. <laughs> Architecture school is broken. Here's how we should fix it by yes. Ross Brady. Yes. Ross Brady. So I don't know Ross. Do you know Ross? I don't. I don't. But Okay. So we can talk freely here. Yeah. There's so many themes like this that architecture is broken in various ways. And I think like, we can totally agree with that. There's nothing wrong with that statement. There's there's a lot broken about it. There's a lot of stuff that that actually works somehow. Yeah, yeah. It's like every time I see a building, I'm like, that is incredible that that actually happened because it is so so difficult to yeah. pull off. So, yeah. architecture and architecture education are not that different. It seems like there's been this. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm starting to pay attention more. I've been in such a hole where I haven't really looked at a lot of social media and been getting back I on. I miss you over there, man. I, know. I do miss you over there. Yeah. But I've been slowly but surely getting back on in both in Twitter and even LinkedIn. You know, they've seen a lot of articles about architecture being broken, architecture school being broken. We had kind of chatted a while back about we're three recessions away from the profession. Extinction. Extinction. And <laughs> it's interesting. It's like, so everybody's putting it out there that we have systemic problems and what do we do about it? And mm -hmm. 
And it's interesting because they, and, and even reading the book out of architecture, which hopefully you've completed your homework. Oh. <laughs> okay, I cannot comment. <laughs> they even outline in the book through narrative stories, the saga of architecture school, the profession and everything else being broken and, and kind of being the factors of why people leave. And, you know, the article actually really does kind of like start to highlight something that we've talked about a lot is this, this huge disconnect between school and the profession, where I truly believe that there's a lot of really valuable things that are coming out of school. But in a way, I now as a practitioner want more, need more. And, and I think we as the profession should demand more from school because what do you mean by that? By you want more and you need more. You mean in a graduate or? I want, you I want, you know, I remember when I had worked for a little while just as an intern, you know, summer interns and things like that. And then as I started to interview for my post-graduation life, I remember, and it happened to be the firm that I chose to go and work for. He sat me down and well, first he kind of complimented me that I have a lot more experience than a lot of the people who were, you know, applying for it. But he basically That's not because of school. It wasn't because of school. That was definitely not because <laughs> right. of school. That was that four year hiatus that I took from school where I was working for an architecture firm. They did a lot of OJT, a lot of things that extra experience. <laughs> extra experience that for me, right. you know, when I went back to school, and we can even talk about this at um, for a little bit, it's just how the influence of practice sort of made me a bad student when I went back because mm. I was always criticized about my limitations, about making it buildable and, and all practical. of these impractical yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so the conversation that I had with this interviewer, which again, ended up being my boss and my first mentor, he basically said, when students come out of school, they're useless. He goes, look, I was useless when I came out of school, you know, and he was yeah, like pointing right. around, everybody was useless when they came out of school because- yeah. Right. What it teaches you is this critical thinking. You know, it teaches you about design. It teaches you about things. That's not what the profession wants and needs. Not from a, a recent yeah. graduate. They need people to produce, right? And I don't necessarily yeah. want the school graduates to come out of school not being able to critically think and not being able to think about expressive designs and things like that. But I do want them to be able to assist in what we're essentially going to be assigning them early on is like, okay, fine. You've been taught how to design, but you haven't really been taught how to put together a bill. And we're like, okay, it's our job. However, you know, and then this is the, however, it's like now you're billable and mm -hmm. now I'm having to teach you. And so, you know, in, in some people's minds, it's just like all of those billable hours are throwaway hours. And some people say, I've heard this you know, countless times through many a different senior person, you know, project manager or something. It's just like, I don't want to take on new people because I have a demanding project, a demanding timeline, and I don't have time to stop and teach them how to do the job that I want them to do. And, and it's a valid point. And I don't know if you saw another article floating around. I think you may have sent it to me, maybe not, about our disconnect from our building knowledge, the tectonic knowledge that we sort of don't have when we come out. And those are the kinds of things that project managers and project architects are really looking for new interns, 
recent graduates. That's what they're really looking for. That's what they really need. Yeah. And so that's where the gist of this article is. They're talking about this defense-based design. You know, it's like the first few years, it's all about you know, like, how can you out-design the next person? How can you defend your design? Whatever it is, may not be a building, it may be a building, is better than the other person. You know, they start developing this intuition. And how many times have you sat in a client's boardroom talking to them about the design that you're doing for their you know, X million dollar budget? And they're just like, well, why are you doing this? It's like, well, because it feels right. You know, you start talking about the intuition. You're just like, that's hard sell, man. I mean, it depends on the person delivering that message. I think there are some people who can inspire a client to go to think true, outside of true. their typical realm. And so it's not like that doesn't happen because it absolutely does happen. But there are also you do have to get to very quickly a constructible, practical solution. And I don't mean practical as in dumb. I just mean is like like this thing actually has to get built. In a certain amount of time, it has to get detailed and everything. It has to get approved. It has to go through all of these real world processes to become a real thing yeah. in real space for real people to inhabit. And so, yeah, you can't live in that, imagine if you will, kind of a thing for very long because you've got to get from that to reality in a short period of time. And by short, I mean a couple of years, which is not really short, but it's way too, it's way it's, fast it's, for an architectural project. I was going to say, it's short, <laughs> it's short in the AEC world. It, yeah. A few years is, is like, if you can get a, yeah. it's just like, oh, I got this project done from design to construction in three years. Like, it's oh, amazing. I mean, right. even residential yeah. houses, sometimes construction can be like 18 months or something like that. I remember when, way back in the day when I was doing residential design and, you know, we were having very slow process of things because you know, people are like, hey, I want to change something or, hey, I want to do this. So we were talking about the, the book out of architecture and we were talking mm -hmm. about the cube project and, you know, they talk about the cube project in there. Now we didn't do the cube project, but we did something very similar to it, which basically they were basically asking you how to think about something without instructions. And a lot of times we go through that process early on, you know, like say when we're given a project or we're pursuing a project, there's a lot of things that we've got to do a lot of fact finding with. First, mm -hmm. we start to think about it in a more practical aspect. And I'm talking about experience. I just, you know, sat through a charrette with a bunch of other people in our office. We were, you know, basically starting the initial process of establishing our qualifications to submit them to a potential client. But... We went through the fact finding. So it was like that practical application of like, you know, what the design could be. And then as we started to say, okay, you know, here's all like the practical limitations. Here's this, here's that. We started to explore, you know, something a little bit more ethereal, a little bit more kind of intuitive. Let's just call it, what that, if. you know, but everything was rooted in a practicality. But I think it was going back to that, that process that we learn in school about First, learning how to think, thinking without instructions. You know, that's what that cube project was. He was just like, okay, so everybody built a cube and, you know, walked around. Some were perfect, some were imperfect. And then it's just like, okay, now I want you to do it again, but I want you to do it with, take the blinders off and just go completely bananas, do whatever. And then they, you know, started talking about the deconstructed cube, or applied cube and all of these other things. And that's when you start to explore your mind and explore. So it's really starting to teach you how to think without instructions. And we do that mm -hmm. often. And so I don't want to downplay the importance of that kind of education. 
But I also think that we're doing ourselves, and I've said this, you know, countless thousands of times, I don't want to downplay the importance of this marrying up of the practical built, that word we like to shy away from when we're in architecture school. I want to talk about the B word. We want to talk about the A word. We want to talk about yeah. capital A architecture and all of that other stuff and, and what our soul can provide to you. Well, yeah, and that's what we're passionate about. Exactly. I mean, and there are there are people at various levels of that passion. And you could talk about the people who just like to make buildings out of concrete block all the way to capital A architecture. And there's everything in between those those two stops. The whole idea of architecture school has to change implies a trade-off. If it takes five years to get an undergraduate degree from an accredited university, if you want to be arch you want to be an accredited, you know, architectural graduate that you then can take the next step to pursue licensure. There has to be a certain set of steps to get from here to there. And so what we're saying is that needs to, and this article is saying that needs to change. And it's, it's basically, let's just cut to the chase. It says less design. What the trade-off is, is we can do less design training and more practical business buildable construct you know there's all kinds of other things you could fill that in with right. to create a more well-rounded architect upon graduation even though you can't call yourself so, an architect yet right but that's the idea so and i'm glad you actually said that because you know as you were talking it kind of like popped in my head it was like okay well think about the pathway that we're now starting to pursue of licensure upon graduation so if you have a license upon graduation what kind of practical experience or what kind of practical knowledge are you supposed to have to have that license? It's a lot mm -hmm. more building knowledge than you would normally graduate with, correct? Yes, okay. yes, it is more for sure. But is it is it actual useful knowledge or is it just memorization of diagrams out of books? Well, I would say that it's a lot more of an understanding of construction and building that we would normally graduate with because it might be, you know, yeah. but is it, if you can retain it, yeah. But is it practical experience that you probably not, probably not probably at all, not. but yeah. it's still one of those things that it's a tough problem. I mean, the reason it that it's like this is because it's a tough problem. And there's not one way to solve it, just like a real design problem, right? Like yeah. just like everybody in studio got the same prompt and had to come up with their interpretation of the cube mm -hmm. to go back to the, the conversation before, and they were different. That's exactly what we're talking about here on a much larger scale, which is the education slash licensure slash trajectory of a career of an architect. How useful can you be? How soon? Because this is coming at it from a perspective of, the business of architecture. Yeah. And it's not like the business of architecture does a whole lot to get people to get from A to Z very quickly either, right? So yeah. we're busy yeah. in the business of architecture pointing at the education side saying, how come you're not putting out more useful people for us? And at the same time, you're never allowed to go on a site visit yeah. as a young professional in an office. Like I'm, you know, never. This is, it does happen, it's, right? And there are and, and there are some education programs like the one that, that you went through at Auburn where it's very hands-on, right? And yeah. Cal Poly, that, where I went to, the motto is like learn by doing, right? And it was very hands-on. And, and there are schools like that. And it's not, so it's not to say that they don't exist, but 
there is a, a lack of getting people into the field in the profession to see what the hell they're drawing before they're drawing it so that they actually understand how things are going together because they're not getting that in school. This is a really interconnected mess. And I think one thing that this keeps coming back to is like, we have to rethink it all. Mm -hmm. It all has oh, to be rethought. Yeah, oh, and you can't just change one and the others continue to operate the same way yes. because that won't work either. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why it is definitely not a, a, a one solution because yeah. we spend so little time truly mentoring early on because a lot of times people just don't want to be bought. They need other people. Look, I, I need you to do this, but I don't have time to tell you how to do this. So what is different from once they get into the profession than school? Because in school, we're like, you know, hey, I want you to design a building. You don't know anything about a building. We're not going to teach you about a building yet, but I want you to design a building. And, and here we're like, okay, here we're designing a building, but I want you to do details. I want you to do code research. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. But I don't have time to teach you, so you're going to have to teach yourself. Oh, and yeah, you know that uh, that program that we need you to do it all in? That, that You better be damn good at that. You better be damn good at that. Oh, you, di you, you didn't take <laughs> any classes on that? Well, you're going to have to teach yourself because I, I don't have time to teach you that either. You're absolutely right. Designed to fail, man. <laughs> this whole thing. Yeah. You, it's a miracle it works at all. I, I, mean, I keep thinking that. You know, you, you started off with saying if you like, you know, go past some buildings and you're just like, wow, I, it's amazing that that got built. A lot Talking of, about buildings that I've designed, right? <laughs> I was, <laughs> oh my God, they actually did it. I go to some of the... And I'm not going to point out any names, but you know, there's some architect buildings that I've visited that are amazing looking buildings, but you know, then the senior project architect in me who starts to look at a building and starts to see how it's going together and stuff. I'm like, Hmm, I can see where some potential failures are going to be. I, mm -hmm. I was inside of a building and everybody was enjoying the building. It was an absolutely beautiful, spectacular space, but I saw you know, you could see through the building, you could see water ponding in areas that are up against joints. I you tell me about that. Exactly. And I'm not going to talk about, I'm not going to say what that building is. I mean, maybe, you know, we'll talk about it in later one of our, you know, amazing upcoming videos. Maybe we will. But it just, you're just like, that's going to fail. That is going to fail. Well, and this article points out this idea of uh, creating containers of space versus buildings for yeah. the utilitarian, like the use of the people who actually are going to right. use it. And there, there's a clear distinction there. Like one is paper architecture, one is real architecture. And that there is kind of a failure to bridge the gap in school, at least, to get from paper architecture to real architecture that people will actually live and work in. And that that is a reality of our profession. But I have to say, it's a trade-off. And what are you willing to get rid of so that you have the space in an architectural education to put these kind of practical training pieces in? And then I also want to just point out that we don't need more boring, crappy buildings. Oh. We don't. Yeah. yeah. The value of an architect is in the kinds of spaces and buildings they can create. And it's and we still have to work within right. all the constraints of budget and program and, and code and all those things. 
But we need more great architecture, not less right, either. Right, right. So in, that's a fear of mine. So this kind of a that's that's totally it. and and that's where I feel like this catch twenty two is putting us because mm-hmm. if we constantly say that the disconnect is between school and the profession, but it's the school's fault, or then the school is saying, but it's the profession's fault, we're just going to get those kind of like banal, boring, you know, yawner buildings and stuff. And yeah. and and so I think if there's there's a lot more cohesiveness, a lot more I. I've never understood why there isn't more interaction with the profession in school. So we had visited just because my ninth grader uh, is interested in going into the law. So I decided, it was like, you know what? Hey, let's take you over to the University of Michigan School of Law. Now, absolutely beautiful buildings, beautiful law quad. And I just kind of like wanted to walk around with her and just have her kind of like feel what it is to be in a college campus and stuff. And you could see all of these students buzzing around and you could see the serious, stern look on their faces like, oh my God. But we actually even like walked into one of the common spaces and you could tell that there was like real lawyers in there talking with students. And so there was this interaction between the profession and the student because the student, and, and there's so much more connection with the profession in things like that, in things like medical school, which we're always trying to compare ourselves with, you know, we're professionals just like they are, right? Yet we, we always seem to, you know, have this disconnect between we school in a bubble, we practice in a bubble. I sought out working in a firm. And like I said, when I came back, it was almost like I, I did myself a disservice because the professors were telling me, Oh, you're thinking too practically. You know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be buildable. Like, yeah, you know, picking it myself. Yeah, it does. I mean, no, I've, and, not in school, it doesn't. You know, I would, you know, so I, t- I took time off between my third and fourth year. And so when I went back and I was in fourth year, I was doing, th- and you would expect, and, and I don't know what anybody's expectations about what you should know in fourth and fifth year, but. It should be getting close to being able to be somebody who's competent enough to understand their design and how to start putting things together. At least start critically thinking about how things go together, right? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. But, yeah, somewhat. Sure. But when they said that, you know, the objective is, is that, you know, it's just like, you know, we're not really here to teach you how things go together. We're here to teach you how to think about how things go together. I'm like, what yeah. does that mean? I just had a conversation with Christine Williamson, Building Science Fight Club, the awesome. Instagram account yeah. on my oh, yeah, other yeah. podcast. I don't, we can't talk about the other podcast here, right? We can't. And, and <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm enamored with her Instagram account. I mean, even at like my advanced years of profession, I learn a lot from right. her. She's amazing. Yeah. So she's been running this Instagram account and we'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but she talks a lot about envelope, right? And, yeah. and yeah. it's a lot about, Moisture protection, things like that. Yeah. Like these are advanced industry terms. But I mean, this is where risk is involved in being an architect. And so she concentrates on building science and really about the things that keep you from taking on too much risk by understanding a framework of how things go together. <laughs> so it's not just like this is a detail and this is why it's drawn like this. It's like this is what's what it's doing. This I is how agree. these pieces go together and they're doing the thing that you need them to do so that you're not going to get sued, for instance, but also just so that you're smarter when it comes to that next project that you're going to be designing. And I think one of the things that school is good at, and not necessarily in that way, is 
giving you a framework, right? Like you talked about learning how to think. It's a framework of how to think. It's a framework of how to design. It's a framework for how to synthesize something from nothing mm -hmm. into something, right? Right, And that's, that's the whole idea of what design is. And that's why architecture and architects are so valuable is because we can work with potential. Like it's yeah. not yeah. there. It does not exist. We can take this thing that is just people's ideas and constraints and needs and all these things and turn it into reality by assembling all these parts in just the right way to make it happen. And I mean, don't forget every building we put out there is a prototype. Like it's not even for the most part. I mean, there oh, yeah, are yeah. lots of there. Are, we're getting to the point where there's industrialized construction and sure. there's prefabrication and things like that, where it's, it, it is the same thing kind yeah. of reproduced in a much more manageable way. But and most of the industry is not there as far as like capital A architecture goes, that's for sure. So it's just about frameworks. And so there are some schools, I would assume, that are very good at giving you environmental controls frameworks, at giving you materials frameworks, like when you talk about building materials. And you know, we, ha we all had those courses, even though they right. were very limited. There are some that focus more on that stuff than others. I think that the thing that's being pointed out in this article is like, do we really need so much of design framework? Right. And still, can we turn out, and my comment, I guess, on this whole article is, yeah, maybe we don't need to focus so much on design. And I wish that the education system, maybe they think they're like this. I kind of don't get that sense with most of the graduates that come out is that they're not playing the long game of creating great architects. Mm -hmm. They're processing people through a business and the business is this architectural education. Yeah, And that business needs to be attractive to get students to come in, to pay the tuition fees, to get the degrees. And then to have success stories as they launch into their career, because then the school can talk about those metrics. And yeah. that's important for yeah. someone who's looking at a school to go to, to say, like, will I be able to do something with this? And so the nuance of this is not unlike the nuance of what it's like to be an architect. Like, what we do is really hard. It's really hard. Like, again, it's a miracle that this stuff actually gets built. And there's right. people who do this every day, and they're awesome at it. But there's so much nuance in the education system as well that I don't think is being considered in an article. Again, there's like just not enough depth in this article for me to like actually say, here's how we're going to fix it. I, I don't think that it's – there's not enough there for me. There's not enough meat. And, and like how do you fix it? Man, I don't know. But there are some great minds in this profession who could get together and start to actually solve that problem. And then do it at a school and then prototype it there. And then, again, share and get this stuff out there to raise all boats inside of our profession to get people to be closer to becoming really good architects over time. It's interesting. So I had mentioned that it would be nice to kind of have a little bit more involvement with the profession in school. You know, as you were talking about that, I started to think about, I've had practitioners come in and do be visiting professors. You'd almost expect that a practitioner would come in and sort of bring a little bit of practice of like what you're actually going to expect in your future, in the rest of your life into some of the studios that they do. But it, it's interesting is that not very many of them did. And mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting. So like, go back to your, there's a lot of great minds out there. Yeah, there are. And, and I would love for the great minds of academia and the great minds of the profession to kind of get together and talk about what is... Across the streams. You know, exactly. How can we defeat Gozer? 
in turn, though, those perfect, you know, the, the practitioners need to know that, hey, you're not going back just to kind of like do a little more of the same. It's no, we, we need to start thinking about it different. So when I was reading this article, I was thinking about a jury that I had attended years ago. It was at fifth year studio. These were kids who were about to graduate. And I'm looking at some of their floor plans and they're going through and they're talking about all of the different rationale behind the design itself. And I'm like, but where are your doors? And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, you're showing me a floor plan on your ground floor. You're talking about this intervention into the landscape and all of this other stuff. But where are your doors? You don't have any doors. It's just like, oh, well, once it's built, you know, and you start to see the traffic flow around it and stuff like that, that's when, you know, you would know where they would go in. And you're just like, so there was no concept. I was like, it's not exactly how it works. And, yeah, not at all. Hmm. And that was a fifth year studio that was being taught by a practicing architect who has a successful career that I actually admire. And they were yeah, like, you can't teach them all. I mean, I mean, I've, I've taught, I know what this is like and I'm not, this sucks to say, but man, there are, there are students that those professors give up on completely and they're still going to graduate. So now fast forward to Monday, a few days ago, I was in my ACE class and one of the students, as we're sitting there, we're talking, you know, and I was like looking at the PowerPoint that they're pulling together. That's ultimately going to be part of their final presentation. And I'm like, well, where'd you get all of these great pictures of, of the existing building? She's like, oh, I, I went out and took pictures. She goes, how can you design anything without really actually seeing and understanding the site? It's like, oh my God, welcome to the profession. <laughs> yes, please. Come in, come under my wing. Exactly. You know, come on in. The door is open for you. And if you keep yeah, thinking I'm, like that. There's that spectrum. Yes. There is that spectrum too, right? It's like, where are your doors? She's a 10th oh, we'll grader in later. high school. Yeah. Right. There was a, yeah. there's a, a junior in high school who is doing a lot of the Revit work for this project, for this project team, you know, because they're broken up into what? teams. And there's this kid, he was like placing all of the doors. He was like nudging them over. And I'm like, well, why are you putting them off of adjacent wall though? The perpendicular. You're testing them. No, I was just asking him why, you know, why he was okay. putting doors, you know, where he was putting them. He's like, he goes, well, that's where I normally see them. I'm like, well, you're not wrong. And here's why we normally do things like that. Mm. And, you know, try to explain to him the things, you know. And, and so now I've been doing ACE for, and, and again, you know, for people who don't know who, what ACE is, ACE is a way to introduce high school students into the potential future careers that are available in architecture, design, construction, engineering, and all. So, mm. And so I've been doing it now for eight years and I've evolved in the way that I teach to try to talk to them about the why we do what we do a lot more than just here's something, remember it. It's just like, yeah. here's something, remember it, but here's why you actually do it. Because if you don't understand the why, there's really no point in understanding what it is. And I'm just sitting there, we were talking about, you know, yesterday, the, the structural engineer was, you know, she's kind of walking around talking to all of the different groups and stuff. And she came by and she was kind of quizzing the kids because these kids actually get actual credit for these. They can, you know, they're, they're getting high school credit, actually getting college credit for these. And so they want to kind of like know that people are learning something. And, and so the structural engineer is going to come in and ask, you know, structural engineer type questions. 
And so she starts asking about, you know, tell me about all of the different forces. All of the kids actually answered all the different forces. But then as the structural engineer walked away, she just wanted to know, and, and this isn't a knock or anything. She, you know, she was just asking, you know, this was information that was put out where you guys paying attention. And that's what she was checking. on. But what I wanted to check on is like, did we really go through what those forces are and what they really mean? I mean, I understand just that you're the forces. It's just like, yeah. I understand that you're just high school and it doesn't really matter to you if you know what they are, they are because if you're really just trying to get credit for this, just memorize what they are and they are. However, if you guys are really interested in going into profession, you're going to need to know what those forces really are, what they do, how they affect your design, how they affect your building, how they affect the material choices, how they could potentially affect the budget. Yeah. And I started like walking through and talking about it. And then they all just sat there and they stopped what they were doing and they were listening and stuff. And you know, I was like, does this make any sense to you? Like, yeah, it's really interesting. And I'm like, I actually remember having these conversations in college right. Right. with my professors. And yeah. I had to figure out the why throughout my career, not in school. And so maybe the conversation isn't necessarily about how do we make people understand how to put together a building and detail it out and do the wall, you know, proper wall sections and proper yeah. plan and section details and all that other stuff. But they need to understand the why we do those things and the why that if you want this design, you're going to need to understand how you can achieve that design. And that's sure. what we're missing right now is we're missing the how you can practically achieve that design with the understanding of the materials and the everything else and how you put it together and all that other stuff out there. You don't really have to like 100% understand that, oh yeah, by the way, because this is an egress stair, you need to have a fire rated wall and a fire rated door and all this other crap. You don't really need to do that, but you need to understand the whys. So is the answer less design in school to get to there? Or is it, I mean, we hear this all the time, right? The answer is to do more. All the people involved need to do more. Right. The students need to dig in deeper. They need to go farther. They need to have that internal motivation to really kind of suss these things out so that they have the frameworks mm. to at least ask the right questions when it's right. appropriate. And then there's the professors who need to put in a lot more effort into every student and these lectures and all those things. And then there's this whole idea of retention versus being able to look things up. And and so I don't know what the answer is because it's like school should actually probably be twice as long than it is. <laughs> and student debt's already a problem. So it's like, whoa, there, there's, a, there's can, a huge mess here to do. So deal. you ask the question, can there be less design? In a way, yes. But it's not less design as in, you know, what was interesting about my fourth year is that, you know, the first semester we did a project. The second semester, we actually built upon that project. First, we started to look at it in a very kind of like narrow context. And then we started to look at it in a bigger, broader context as we started to go further and further. And I'm not opposed to doing things like a year long project that actually starts to teach you the reality. In, in fact, you know, if you think about it, the reality of some of our design process is a year. I'm on year two of a project. Now, granted, it's 
eight buildings instead of one building. But on a normal average project, we're going through conceptual design, schematic design, design development, construction, documentation, and permitting all like within a year, 16 months, something like that. And so it's not too much out of the question to really go through a process, maybe not get to like the construction document phase, but start talking to them about the whys of how do you achieve this design? You know, it's like you're going through all of this concept of how it touches the landscape and, and all of these other different things. Yesterday when we were on the charrette, a bunch of mid-career people were on this call or late-career people were on this call and all of them were talking about broad, big idea concepts and stuff. So we're never too far away from the big ideas and then how to like, we hone it back down to like the, the actual practical build. And so to have projects like that really start to teach you the process. Okay. You did this. Next step is you would be doing this. The next step is you would be doing this. And it's not stealing from this notion of creativity. It's actually helping reinforce that you can become more creative when you understand why you're doing what the hell it is that you're doing. Sure. Yeah. The more information you have earlier and whether that's information that you know or that you can get helps, right? Yeah. To know yeah. what those constraints are because then you know where you can break them. And I think that's, I mean, this is off topic, but this whole idea of what's going on with AI in the, in the practice mm -hmm. and the, what we're seeing kind of take off is it's interesting to me because it's like all of that is going off of things that have already been done. Yeah. And so if it's been trained on language models out there, uh, I guess the only reason I'm bringing this up is it doesn't know how to break the rules. Whereas that's what architects do. It's like you figure out how to break the rules. You figure out how to get And you're not breaking the rules. You're just coming up with a creative way to get around something or solve it in a particular way. You need a lot of information up front. And I think that's maybe what's so frustrating for everybody, at least on the practice side, when right. they get a, a new graduate in. It's like, why don't they know this already? Well, you, you, I guess you don't know it till you know it, but but also everybody's already got too much to do. And and if we just want to cram more in, and that's why I keep coming back to this idea of trade-offs and mm -hmm. is the answer less of this so that we can do more of this other stuff, is like something's going to still suffer in there because it's like none of it is enough. Like you can't cram it all in in the shortest amount of time possible. When did you, you got your license 17 years after you graduated. I got my license 17 years after I graduated. Right. We both had this idea like I'm not ready yet. Right. I mean, there of course are people who are like, I'm ready right now. What are you talking about? I didn't feel like I wanted to do that yet. And that's because you're gaining experience. It's right. a constant learning experience all through your entire career. Now, if we knew back then, before all of this, that the license isn't this gateway to, okay, now you know everything. It's, it's always right. going to, you're always going to be learning. You're always going to be experiencing something new. We had a different philosophy behind getting our, our license. And that's, that's just for us. And I don't begrudge anybody getting their license a lot earlier. In fact, in a way, I looked at it this way I, I, and I'm serious. And, and I, if I keep beating a dead horse, I apologize about this, but this whole notion of understanding the why is honestly the most important thing that architects can be. I don't necessarily want them to be able to understand how to put together the building, but if they know the why of this is, you know, the fundamental, this, yeah. this search to be able to put it together and they can understand that and they can master that, the search, 
the looking for, then you're going to put it together and you're going to put it together right. But we've talked about this in the past where people don't know, they don't know when to ask the right questions or they don't know to ask questions. They don't know what they don't know. They don't know the right question to ask. And and then a lot of times they just don't ask it. And Mm. then they build to general overhead rather than a project because they're just sitting around all the I didn't know what to do. You know, so I didn't do anything. It's just like, if when you are taught to pursue the why you're doing what it is that you're doing, you will always have something to do. It's true. And that stuff will fall into place. Exactly. If your pursuit is the why. Yeah. yeah. I, and I guess that gets, that gets back to this idea of having the right frameworks to start with, which is exactly what Christine and I talked about. And that's her goal with her Instagram channel is to create better frameworks for people so yeah. that they can pursue these the why mm-hmm. when they're actually doing a project, but have a baseline set of fundamentals as guiding principles, right? right? And that if, if you can get those, you can figure the rest out. And that's what I love about her channel is because she is teaching you the fundamentals. If I want to keep water out of my building, where are the resources? And so I can look at a set of um, it's on Instagram. Oh well, yeah, exactly. But I mean, I can, which is wild. Exactly. Well, <laughs> they're not learning it in school. You're not getting it from a senior project. The mentorship is a total problem in the industry. And it's like, where is it? It's on. I think that's why it's absolutely wild that you can actually find this information on Instagram, which is not what Instagram is for. But she figured out a hack. To, well, to remember, remember when we were on a panel together and somebody had asked you. What was the most valuable research tool or what was the most valuable tool? Productivity tool. Productivity tool. tool. Yeah, productivity. And what did you say? Yeah. I said YouTube. You said YouTube. Which it, is where our new, sh- our show is now. It's on YouTube. See, there you go. I just teed it up. <laughs> Look it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's the thing is understanding that there's resources out there that you don't have to recreate the wheel, but you just need to know that, hey, I need to keep water out of my building. And there's resources out there that will teach me. You just got to figure out what you can actually trust. Exactly. Exactly. Discernment. You'll need that that discernment. That's a different conversation altogether. Well, we can fall down that rabbit hole easily. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't think that we've figured this out in the least, but at least we're talking about it. And I think that this is critical. It's great to be critical. And we're going to have some more conversations coming up very soon. It's really good to be critical of our profession. It's really good. And I think one of the things I want to talk about in an upcoming episode is kind of the difference between pessimism and being critical. Yeah. Because I think that is a lot of people see this kind of conversation, the kind of articles that we talked about today, some things we're going to be talking about in the future as too pessimistic. (laughs) And like, obviously, we're passionate about this industry. And I know that a future guest coming on the show is also really passionate about making the industry, the profession better. Right. And that's why we're so interested in having these conversations. And without these conversations, things will not change. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, should we sign off? Sure. Our inaugural live ArcaSpeak podcast channel here on YouTube. And, you know, of course, we're still doing the audio version. But again, everybody head on over to YouTube, hit the link in the show notes. And we'll see you next time. See you all. And thanks for watching.